Hey, what's up guys? Special guest today on the Raji Rabbit Show is Mike Acosta, AKA DJ Michael Trance. He has a great background in production and is also one of the leaders over at ADSRSounds.com. So if you want to learn about some production or some really cool stories or house music, then this is the show to check out. So please remember to like, subscribe, and share the Raji Rabbit Show. We are live right now. Uh, it's the Raji Rabbit yes. Show. And I have my friend and my buddy, my <laughs> compadre, my companion, Mr. Michael Trance in the building. What's up, Raj? What's up? <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to be on the Raji Rabbit Show. I'm in Orlando right now. Where are you at? I'm back home in Colorado. Denver, uh, technically, Colorado. Like, yeah, man. Technically, I mean, Los Angeles, that's still my heart, my home, you know, but this is where I reside right now. So yeah, I'm here in Colorado, man. How hard was it getting used to the cold weather of uh, of Colorado? The first year was a bitch, man. Um, like I had been coming out here because at the time when I moved out here, um, I was working. I, I was still working for Beport, and uh, so there was some startup stuff that was happening, and you know I was having to come out here like every quarter, and uh, so I ended up just moving out here to make things uh, a bit, you know, easier. Uh, and, and definitely be at the you know on the ground floor you know building up some new stuff, and uh, so I was already used to it kind of being cold, but I hadn't lived you know out here you know. So when we first moved out here, man, like I seriously had to go and buy like some new jackets and stuff because the stuff I had from LA just wasn't cutting it. Yeah. And uh, you know it's gotten like the weather's gotten a bit better hasn't been as cold as that first year and that's what i hear from most coloradans is that uh it's not as bad as it used to be uh which is great you know but like right now it's like 25 degrees right now which isn't too bad you know but when i first moved out here it, it did take a little bit of time to kind of you know get used to that you know freezing ass cold sometimes when it, it's the kind of cold sometimes where you go outside and you know like the shit hurts when you breathe <laughs> yeah. it's like oh damn so yeah, and I mean you're from like back in the Midwest, right? Like, yeah, I but I've been so far removed from it now that I, I hate it every time. Some like uh, last year, I did a lot of traveling uh, as well, and I wouldn't plan on the temperature of the places. I would just kind of say, "All right, let's go," and uh, right. And I quickly learned that I should probably take into consideration the location as well because I went to I think it was Chicago. Like and during a snowstorm, oh, yeah. during a snowstorm, and and after <laughs> not being used to the Midwest weather for so long, it really took me back. I was like, oh, this is awful. This is so bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. You just said it was twenty-five degrees right there, and that makes me just cringe right now. So. Um, yeah, it's it's not that bad. Like, uh, you know, sometimes when it's like twenty-five or like thirty-five, like it's okay. Like you can wear. I'm just wearing a hoodie sweater and, and kind of used to it already. Um, it's when that wind chill factor like kicks in and the, the winds are going mm -hmm. to where if it's like 25 then it's really it feels like it's like zero yeah yeah oh man but I've, I've gotten used to it man like it's really not that bad at all and um you know so now like when i see my friends post you know back in la like the minute it drops below 70 degrees See, everybody in L.A. is like, oh, it's sweater weather. It's so cold. And it's like 68, 67. Yeah. It's like, man, we're over here still wearing shorts when it's 50. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to continue <laughs> to 
I'm going to continue to opt out of that. The Denver is super cool. Been there a lot over the last couple of years, and I love it every time. But I'll just wait till the spring, I think, to kind of fully get back into my Denver mode. Um, but let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, ADSR sounds uh, and and about what ADSRsounds.com does. Uh, ADSR, uh, I will let you explain it uh, to the listeners. Yeah. So ADSR uh, originally. Uh, when it started, uh, the CEO and founder, which is Steve, who you've met and we've hung out together, and really, really smart, great guy. Um, he initially started out as Massive Tutorials, uh, which was like a, uh, you know, it's just a website for simply just, you know, Massive Tutorials, obviously. And, um, you know, he had like a dedicated page on Facebook for it and stuff. And, and I remember seeing it, like, you know, Massive Tutorials. And at the time is when Massive was really kind of like blowing up, you know, and it was when the whole dubstep scene was really blowing up and everybody was trying to figure out where these sounds, you know, were coming from. And all of it was at that time was literally being created within Massive, you know, from Native Instruments. Yeah. And so it was a really smart move that he jumped on it right away to begin, you know, um, getting a bunch of instructors to create you know, uh, content specifically for massive and tutorials on how to really navigate it. Cause I, re- I remember like I was pretty well versed with synthesizers and stuff, but I remember when I first saw massive it took me a while to kind of like wrap my head around what was really going on, you know, in massive, there was a, at, when it came out, it was kind of groundbreaking with all of the step sequencers that were built in and all these really cool things that you could do. And, um, so even for me, I looked at the interface and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, <laughs> I didn't really understand. It sounded cool, but I didn't understand how all of these, like, automated things were happening, especially, like, with dubstep where you had all this wow, wow, wow and all this automated shit. Um, so he really, you know, was able to kind of capitalize on that and, you know, began, you know, putting out instructional videos on how to program on it. And as that, you know, gained popularity, then, of course, people were asking for presets for it. So then he started, you know, putting together like preset packs and getting some of the, you know, best sound designers that he had access to at the time, you know, to start compiling these presets that would go along with these tutorials. So not only were you learning how to create these Skrillex sounds and everything, but here are some presets already just to, you know, so you can start producing some music. And um, so that did really well for him and that started gaining massive popularity. Then from there, he built another website because um, that's his background is like in, in graphic design and websites and stuff. And yeah, um, so he built another website, which was uh, reactortutorials.com. And so, you know, obviously, Reactor was another big, massive beast, no pun intended, you know, from Native Instruments, which was more of a modular approach uh, to synthesizers and stuff. And um, so he did the same thing that he did with massive, you know, tutorials with Reactor tutorials. And so that started gaining a lot of really big you know, uh, a really big following along with presets and all these things. So then at this time, now he's got two big, massive, you know, websites that are going with content on each of them and presets and on each of them. And at that point, it was kind of getting to be a bit much to manage two different, you know, websites with all of the content and everything. And it was at that point where he decided that I'm just going to put it all together in one spot you know, and then start building up sounds and samples to go along with all this stuff and just really start kind of diversifying, you know, the offering um, outside of just Massive and Reactor. And that's where it started getting into, you know, like Solenth 
and all these other things. And then it started getting into like DAW, yeah. you know, tutorials on how to use Cubase and how to use Ableton Live. And once they started, you know, with Ableton Live, then from there that just really blew up. Um, and from there, that's where ADSR is today. Like initially, it just started off as you know tutorial courses and stuff, and then some some presets. And now today, ADSR has ADSR sounds, so we have all of the biggest you know labels in the industry that are on the store. There, um, you can find you know sample libraries for all kinds of genres of music. Uh, but we also now distribute plugins from some of the biggest you know companies that we have uh, available there, and. So now you have courses, sounds, plugins, and then of course you know we have news, the blogs, and all that stuff. So it's kind of become its own like ecosystem mm-hmm. to where you could subscribe there to courses. And let's say you want to learn about you know mastering. Okay, so now you start learning about mastering, and you you start learning about how to use you know Ozone Eight, you know Isotope. Yeah. Well, now you can also purchase that plugin from us, and you know you get the full course on how to use it from a to z you know and that's the biggest thing is that a lot of guys including myself i'm guilty of it as well you know we buy a plugin and we we kind of just scratch the surface of it and that's it we don't really delve that deep into some of these you know plugins to really you know maximize what they can do and we're always looking for that next plugin oh i gotta get this and i gotta get this and the biggest pitfall that a lot of you know producers i think that fall into is they don't really learn what they have 100%. They know about maybe 25%, and that's why they always feel like they need to buy another plugin to do this and buy another plugin to do that. When in reality, probably two of the plugins that they have probably already do those things, and you just haven't really learned how to really maximize its potential. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, that, and that's where that, the courses really comes in. So it really helps, I think, the customers make better decisions on what they're going to purchase, you know, yeah. based on what they're learning. They can decide on, do I really need that? Or, or, you know what? In this course, I learned already that the plugin I have actually does that function, but it just does it a little differently, but it will get the job done. So, yeah, it's really cool, uh, that, um, that there is, uh, hey, what's up? Shout out to D- DJ Jumbo. He's back on the broadcast. This is a different jumbo. It's really funny because this jumbo actually kind of <laughs> met the other jumbo last night on the on the, the live stream that we did. Uh, so that's cool. Shout out to jumbo. But uh, jumbo. But yeah, you know you know that jumbo too. So this is like it's funny. All the the, the worlds are coming together. But uh, uh, Dennis says what's up to you as well. This new jumbo says what's up to you. So cool, cool. So thanks for watching. So basically, guys, uh, um, if you. Uh, have any questions for uh, Michael of ADSRSounds.com? You can hit him. You can uh, ask us in the chat box, and I will definitely make sure that uh, we bring that up here on the live conversation. And again, if you're listening to this podcast pre-recorded on the uh, Apple Podcast app or SoundCloud or something like that, then you can join all the fun by following me on my page on Facebook because that's where we go live and we interact with you when we're recording these. So. Follow the page. That way, when I go live, you get the notification and you can be part of the show, not only listen to it later on. So, um, Michael, so we just got into what ADSR was and how it came about and, and how uh, it's really cool that you're getting the, the education you need for the plugins as well through the, the online uh, tutorials, which are amazing, by the way. The way it's set up, if you haven't seen it, I suggest everyone check it out. Uh, uh, you uh, introduced me to the uh, the layout of what it is now and... Uh, 
Yeah. And I have I had I had a little little you know some access to it, so I got to watch a lot yeah, of stuff of and course. learn <laughs> learn a lot of things. So that was really cool. And uh, I mean, it it is by far one of the most like easy to digest uh, learning uh, websites that I've, I've actually experienced. So thank you guys for making Thanks. it so easy. Um, yeah, no, we, we definitely put a lot of time into it. Um, it's not like we just say, oh, you know what? Yeah, we should get a course about this one thing and, and then we just get it done. It's like we really go through the whole process of, you know, what should we do? Why should we do it? And then outline it, pick the best instructor that we feel is going to be able to explain that particular, you know, software properly. Uh, and then, you know, go about the process of once it's submitted, you know, it goes through a whole QA process. So we literally go through it all to make sure that it's, you know, digestible and that it's, you know, easy to understand and that it makes sense. You know, that's mm-hmm. the one thing, you know, one thing that I see a lot and you hear a lot of producers say is, oh, just go to YouTube and you'll learn about it on YouTube. And that is like. It's a coin toss, and I try to tell, and I try to warn guys about that, because with all of the video content that is out on YouTube, okay, because it is accessible to everyone, that is a big pitfall in itself, because you've got a lot of inexperienced, you know, guys that really don't know shit that are on there trying to basically just gain followers and they're really talking about the wrong things and directing people in the wrong way and so you get a lot of people that you know because i mean when i've taught you know certain classes or like workshops and then at the end of it you know you have somebody that comes up hey man i was doing this and i saw this thing on youtube and and it had told me to do this and for some reason no it didn't sound right but now when you explained it this way it makes sense that why this wasn't working and it's true. You have a lot of information that's out there, but a lot of the information that's out there with regard to music production is wrong. You know, and there's so many ways to skin a cat. So I'm not saying that, you know, one particular way or the ADSR way is the only way, but there are some rules and things that need to be followed and things to watch out for that are kind of just basic. You know, and I think a lot of guys that are out there, hey, man, you know, what's up? This is your boy, so-and-so. We're going to make a beat today, and I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to crank this up. And so I want to make my 808 real fat and loud, so I'm just going to turn this knob all the way up. And the big problem with that is nobody is explaining why that's being done, what is happening to the sound from A to B, you know, and then how this is going to you know fit into that per- that person's particular mix they're just talking about what they're doing but they're not talking about from a generic or general mix standpoint you know what i mean right. so it it's it again that's why i always say it's a coin toss you may find some information to direct you in the right you know get you on the right road mm-hmm. but it's going to be really hard because you're not going to find one complete tutorial that's going to take you from a all the way to Z. Yeah, and how much time do you waste? So really, to to over to right. give you the layman's look at it is, I can sit here on YouTube and waste a lot of time looking for 
the right kind of uh, video that I want. And even then, that guy that I might have liked the way that he presented that product, he's not going to have the next bit of information that I need because it doesn't cover everything. Maybe he only deals with Ableton instead of something else. Maybe he uh, only deals with this synth instead of that synth or something, or his expertise is only uh, dubstep as opposed to hip-hop and things of that nature. So what I like about you guys, again, not without, you know, I'm not trying to sit here and, and be all like overly like a commercial here, but you know, it's really great that you can save so much time when you do find the correct home, and this is any, I guess any website you could say, if you find the correct home for it all, but why I feel that ADSR is the correct home is because I know the people behind it, and I know like yourself, and there's a lot of love behind it and a lot of passion behind it, so it's a true area as opposed to just a monetary uh, uh, way yeah. to come at you. So I like that you guys do that. So. Yeah. So one of the things I would like to get into as well is that, uh, you know, talking about how you guys already know in your true and authentic behind this website, talk about your background and Michael Trance. Why Michael Trance? <laughs> this is an origin story that people need to know. Uh, well, I mean, originally, you know, I started out just, you know, as a DJ and I started DJing actually when I was about like eight maybe eight or nine Jesus. and yeah my whole family they're all musicians um and so i was always being kind of pushed by my uncles and my dad like to learning an instrument because to them you know to be a musician meant you needed to play an instrument like that was the only they didn't want to hear about anything else if you didn't play an instrument you weren't a musician like it just it wasn't it and so uh so i ended up learning how to play the piano um, and then I got really bored of that. I mean, I liked it, but I think like my dad was, um, you know, he was really like forceful about it, you know, like you have to practice and you got to do this and you got to do recitals and all these different things. And it wasn't, um, the way that, <clears throat> that I really wanted to learn music. And, uh, so it, it kind of just turned me off to it. And so I learned the piano uh, from there, when I was, I went to a magnet school. Um, I then uh, took up playing drums. Um, I learned that really quick, and then I got bored. And then from there, I, I jumped over into learning the how to play the violin. And so I played that for a while, and I really enjoyed it. And then from there, I jumped out of that and I fiddled with the guitar for a while. To, and in retrospect, you know, when I'm looking back now. You know, there's a, there was the reason why I got bored with all these instruments was I, I I was wanting to understand how music in general was made, and that's probably why I would get so bored because I would learn these instruments really fast, and then I was like, all right, cool, I got it, I understand what it does next, you know, mm -hmm. and it was it was hard to to keep me focused on that one instrument because I wanted to learn about all of them. And how they all worked together and how songs were made. And so that's kind of how I, I got into the whole DJing thing because the instruments themselves really didn't do anything for me. Like I liked them, I enjoyed them, and I loved music, but there was something missing. I didn't really know what it was. And it wasn't until like the whole breakdancing scene was kind of like in and I was watching that and what really piqued my interest wasn't the dancing it was the dj in the back you know mixing the records and the breaks and back and forth and scratching and doing all these things and keeping a loop going in real time like that's 
what really you know fascinated me mm-hmm. and so that's kind of how you know I, I got into DJing and everything and my parents were like completely against it um, so because obviously it wasn't the traditional thing of like you know being a piano player and and, and you know playing in a band or something like that and um, so you know I basically took a turntable from around the house and my aunt had another you know turntable and she let me have that one and uh, you know, and I was trying to figure out how to blend sounds together. And, and at the time, my dad had like this old ass, you know, Sansui like, you know, home system and you could switch inputs and it had multiple phono inputs. Yeah. So I would, I would play a record and then I would try and flip the knob over and catch it in between where I could hear both of them simultaneously, even though I didn't know I was fucking up my dad's system by. <laughs> holding the knob in the middle you know but i was like okay so this is how sounds are blended together so i knew that i needed like that thing in the middle which obviously was the mixer you know yeah uh so i think like when i was nine like i went to all of my family members and basically told them don't give me anything for my birthday i don't want toys i don't want clothes i don't want nothing i just want cash i'm saving up to buy a musical instrument and that's all I said. So then naturally, because the entire family's all musicians, I got cash. So I ended up, you know, I think for my birthday, I got like maybe, you know, like $300. And back then, that's, you know, that's a lot of money, you know. Like, yeah. Um, so uh, one day uh, we were at, a, at an electronic, well, we were at Fedco. So Fedco would be the equivalent of what uh, like Sam's Club or Costco is today. Uh, and back then, Fedco was – you had a membership and you went there and they had clothes, food, electronics, everything. Mm-hmm. Like Costco. So yeah, just like Costco. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's the equivalent of what Costco is today. Nice. Um, so I, I took my money and my parents didn't really know exactly like how much I had. Uh, and so – I always used to like to go to the electronic shop and just look because they had little DJ mixers in there, and, and it was ATIS, so I think it was Audio-Technica US at the time, if I'm not mistaken, so, and it was spelled A-T-U-S, and those were their first uh, DJ mixers, and uh, I went to the electronic shop, had my cash in hand, and I bought my fucking mixer, like, without my parents' permission or anything, um, and so <laughs> I pull up to the cart where my parents are, and I have this box, and they're looking at me like, what the fuck did you buy? Like, where did what what is this? You know, and man, I, th- I think I got my ass beat one for one, uh, you know, uh, because I didn't talk to them about it. And I just <laughs> went and made this purchase, you know, but yeah, but, you know, I didn't care. And I essentially went home and the two turntables that I had, um, I finally had a mixer and I was able to kind of connect them. Uh, neither of the turntables really had, you know, pitch, you know, so it's not like you could really mix. But I was learning about tempos and like which records like were close together and, you know, in tempo and I could kind of finagle that. Um, and I just kind of, you know, did that for a while and I was buying my rec- I started buying records, you know, so I would, you know, do chores and, you know, I'd save up my money. And, you know, and back then vinyl, you know, domestics were like three ninety nine. 299 you know so i could in a week or two weeks i could probably buy like two or three records maybe you know with what i saved up 
That's the, and so that's and I touched on that a little bit yesterday uh, with another guest was that you know that's what separated the DJs a lot you know from like your set versus someone else's set it's just you can't fucking buy it all you can't afford it all yeah no one could afford it all so you know you no. having a certain uh, a set to play is going to make your set different than anyone else even if your skills aren't even the same as the next guy like you you have. This yeah. collection of island, no one else's collection is going to be the same. So that's super cool and something that, you know, is like the day of uh, the past now. You know, it's, it's behind us. So. Yeah, I mean, that's – and that's one of the things I always talk about too is, is you know, these days, obviously with MP3s, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Joe, like, you know, oh, I'm a DJ. Oh, hey, man, let me copy your, 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 your music drive mm-hmm. and, you know – and now they and now they have a laptop and they copied somebody's music drive. Oh yeah, I'm a DJ now. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Get the fuck out of here. Like I just yeah, you know that just like kind of pisses me off because it's just like ah. But I understand it. Like mm-hmm. I understand the technology has advanced in it, and you know I wish that it would have been easier for me back then, you know to you know to get into DJing. Who knows what what I what I could have done you know with the technology that you know is available now had it been back then you know what i mean but you know at at the end of the day it really like made me hustle and it made me appreciate a lot of things and it really made me learn my craft and that is one of the biggest issues that i have with a lot of dj's today is that everybody jumps into it um because it's so easily accessible and oh i don't really have to do anything i just copy a drive and i just use the sync button and it's all put together and and now i just pump my fists in the air and i put a stupid mask on my head and now i'm a fucking dj you know and <laughs> and it's like it just kind of kills it for the real dj's who have put in work who do put in the time to learn their craft and understand about beat matching and mixing and how to read a crowd you know that's these are all things that have been lost i, yeah. I feel I'm going to go ahead and, and so I used to kind of like I, I talked about this a little bit a couple episodes back with Jay Chalet who's amazing and uh, she's a great DJ on the rise uh, but she's been doing it for like two years and it's like the Atlanta Falcons DJ and like all sorts of shit like it's amazing green room DJ for a while and now but I think over what I what now as an older person what I what I what I value over time spent is passion invested, because I'm seeing quite a few people now, and it's maybe be because of the technology as well. But that they, but they are killing it, and they're learning great mm-hmm. things, and they're doing great very fast. Uh, and of course, social media lets people push themselves even better now than we had it back then. But but the passion invested, I think that's really what it is. If the passion is there. Then that outweighs the time spent. I used to hate it if someone was, you know, um, was some, if someone was totally like a, a new DJ or something, and and they are like playing a venue that's really nice and I like nicer than I have, or took me a long time to get there or something. Like yeah. I used to hate that, you know. And and now it's like, dude, that's awesome, you know. Like you, as long as you love it. I have no problem with it. Now, if you're on some shenanigans shit, like, hey, my cousin's the promoter and I just got a set up and I get to play this club and I'm going to be done with it once I am once I finish college this year and DJing doesn't really mean that much to me, then get the fuck out of the business. That's yeah. that's what I don't like. I don't like when there's no passion. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I think, 
you know, part of it is like obviously, you know, and when you had it so much harder, you know, coming up in the scene and, and all the things that you had to go through to, you know, really call yourself a DJ, it was extremely expensive for one. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like, you know, it was easily, it's not like you were easily put out there for everybody to see. You know, so the the work and everything was way, way harder because obviously there was no social media. There was none of that. And, um, you know, and nowadays I think it's great. Like, I think it's cool that there's all this great technology that helps, you know, enhance the set. Um, my biggest issue is, yes, like you say, like if they don't have the passion or when I hear them talking, you know, you can really tell when somebody is in it because they have a true passion for music and they're very humble about it and they're really trying to, master their craft and master who they are, you know, and, and bring something different to the table versus those that are out there for the party that are there to meet chicks that are there to try and, you know, blow up and they're there for the fame. Yeah. But they don't really know shit about music. And then, oh, yeah, and I'm producing and I'm doing this. And, and it's all for the sake of saying I'm a DJ and I'm a producer when in reality they don't know shit. And I've been with a bunch of people where, you know, we get into the studio and they have no fucking clue what they're doing in the studio. All they know how to do is turn on their fucking laptop, and that's it. Yeah, you know, and and drag a couple of samples here and there, and and it's like, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like if somebody just says, "Hey, yeah, I'm a doctor," because you know, I'm I'm just I'm a doctor, versus somebody who went to school for this shit for ten years, you know, or whatever, and got the degree and is actually real doctor you know what i mean like and so for somebody to call themselves a producer and then you know sometimes i'll ask them like well so when you say that you're a producer do you know what that really means like what do you do oh i make beats okay well that's not really a producer and you know the producer is the person when they go into the studio and you've got other musicians there you have a piano player you have a vocalist or whatever, and the producer is the one putting it all together. You know, the producer is putting down the track. The producer is the one telling the vocalist, "I want, I need you to sing lines like this. We're gonna do this and this and this. I'm bringing in a session player that's gonna play some live guitar over this person. I want you to do this and this. Play it this way. I want it mixed like this." They're running the show, and essentially, you're kind of like the composer for the entire orchestra. You know, mm -hmm. and that's where you really have to have a little bit of some music theory and some background and all this stuff. And it's not to say that a lot of guys don't have that, but I think that it's become so easy again and accessible for somebody to get a laptop and a piece of cracked software. And now all of a sudden I'm a DJ and yeah, I'm a producer, mm -hmm. you know, and I photoshopped myself over a crowd of a thousand people. And, you know, it, it's and that's where it's just like, oh, man, it just really like kills it, you know, for the people that are really like putting in the passion and, and the work behind this stuff versus the ones that are really in it just for like the show mm -hmm. well i think you know, you know in the end sometimes there's things like again passion work ethic is another one too because if you are claiming to be a producer and even if you stumble upon a hit even accidentally i mean that 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 um the kindling isn't built big enough yet so when it catches fire it's just gonna 
and go away, as opposed to someone who catches a kin that, that that when that kindling starts, and that can also be time too. So you have the guy yeah. who spent a lot of time and never blown up at all either. You know, he's going to have a huge back catalog or you know other talents and stuff, and they'll all start to come together. But that will let, that kindling added up will burn longer um, as well. So when people try to fake it, uh, they might pass a lot of people on the way up, but they're going to come right down. Are they gonna blow up in the sky like a bottle rocket? You know. Yeah, and I've seen that happen a bunch of times. So it's you know, like I said, I mean, I I really enjoy, um, you know, when I get to discover new producers that are super super talented. You know, and these are guys that are just they're not trying to be like on the big stage. They're just humble people that just have a really big passion for music, and they're really amazing people, and they've got a a really great talent. And then I meet, you know, this other dude over here with the torn up jeans and trying to floss and everything, and he knows absolute nothing. And this guy's playing, you know, all these big shows because he's essentially paid to play. You know, he's bought himself his social media following. He's bought himself his ghost producers to make his tracks. He's bought himself, you know, a management, you know, company to come in and handle his social media. And, so you know, I mean, and that's where it's just like. Uh, but it sucks you know. because you know the people who have the skills as well need to learn that part of it. You know, so. Very true. You know, Very because true. because you can't if you do them both, that's another piece that gets you that longevity. You know, building a team around you as well. You know, we do so much stuff on our own a lot of the times that you know, and that that's part of some of the failure. You know, and, yeah, no, I yeah. I completely agree with all that. It's like you, you know, with the music side comes the the business side of things, you know, and and having to understand that, and obviously the the business side, you know, the music industry and everything is constantly changing and evolving like crazy, you know, um, yeah. and so you know, there's a lot of work that has to go into uh, both of those things, um, and so yeah, and it's 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 something you know that somebody really has to. You know, have in mind when uh, when they go into this. I think you know a big mistake is that a lot of you know people see the uh, the glitz and the glamour, and they feel that because so and so made it so fast out of nowhere that it's easy for them to do it, and all they need to do is buy some social media following, and and it's just really going into it with the with the wrong mentality. Yeah. I think you know yeah. is what really kills it. Yeah, and I mean, you know? if you're not happy doing this, and the bottom line is, do you get joy? From it, when you open up Ableton and you're making a beat, regardless of if you put it out there or not, did you yeah. kill some time and have some fun? If you did, keep doing it. It's awesome, you know. But if you're, it, it, it's. I think no matter what, you're not let down. Then if it never happens for you, it's not a waste of time because you've done it for 30 years and you've produced, you know, your own tracks. And you listen to them in your car or you listen to them with your friends or. You know, there's like people I know that make their own rap music, and they and they've been doing it a long time, and you know, and they still do it, and they're 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 good, and you know, they're just they just they get a lot of self fulfillment out of it. And I think that that's beautiful, that's awesome, and you know, I, I as long as they're happy with it, then you know, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. You, you have a lot of different you know musicians. You know, you have the ones that are going after you know um, a particular thing, whether it's to be in a you know, playing a big main stage festival or something, and then you have a lot of them that don't really want to be up there. Yeah. You know, but they just want to make really great music and share it with the world. You know, and those are the people I really enjoy 
you know, having conversations with and like, you know, working on stuff, you know, with because at the end of the day, like I got into all of this because of my love and passion for music. And, you know, I've been blessed enough that here I am, you know, at 43 now and I'm still doing this as a full time career, which I know that not many people get to uh, be, you know, are able to say that. Yep. And so I don't, I don't take that for granted, and I know that it's a blessing and everything, and I'm always, you know, aware of that. Um, I just had to make some decisions, you know, at, at a particular point in my life where, you know, I was touring a lot, and you know, I had gone through, you know, playing the house party scene and the underground scene and all this stuff, and then getting into radio, and then I was on air with Richard Vision doing Power Tools for a few years in in L.A., and that was a really great experience, and that you know, propelled me onto another level, um, you know, of playing and touring and stuff. And, you know, uh, it just got to a point where, you know, I, I wanted to continue doing music, but the touring life for me just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't for me. Um, I, it was starting to take a toll on me physically and mentally, uh, to where I would, you know, have a great night, and then you know you have all these people around. People are partying and everything. All these women are around and everything else. And and then at the end of the night, you're in a hotel room alone. You know, and you're spending a lot of time in you know airports and stuff like that. And, and you know, I just it, it was just really weird, like being gone from from home for so much and going out and playing and doing all this stuff and. I felt like, you know, I felt like I was being like three different people, you know, like one person that was on the stage and then one person that was private that really didn't like sharing all of my personal stuff. I really didn't like being around a whole lot of people and talking to a lot of people. That's I really don't. But I did that, you know, at the club because that was the persona and that's what you had to do, you know. And so I did that and then go back to my hotel room and I'd just be chilling and stuff. And we'd have after parties, but... You know, at the end of the day, it's you know, it's it's the traveling around and playing all these shows, and then going back to the hotels and being around a lot of fake people and you know, people that just want stuff from you, that want to be nice to you because they want something. Um, all of that, you know, along with obviously you know, alcohol and everything else that you know that comes with that lifestyle um, can really take a big uh, toll on you. And it, it did for me, and I just basically had to figure out like you know, what I wanted to do, you know, with my life. And I think once I got to a point where, you know, um, I was considering, you know, getting married and, you know, settling down, uh, I had to make a conscious decision that I couldn't be gone, you know, touring and everything if I wanted to, you know, like raise a family. I wanted to be there for my sons and, you know, I didn't want to be gone. I had a lot of friends that were touring a lot. And, uh, you know, some of them had kids and I mean, literally, man, these guys would only see their kid like once every two months or something like that or once a month maybe and or, you know, and I just I, I couldn't do that. Like there's no way and with like good conscience that I could be out there doing all that and just not a part of like my kid's life, like seeing them every day and going to school. So I had to figure out like, you know, like what am I going to do? Uh, to still be in music and everything uh, and and make a career out of it but still like kind of be able to be home and everything and 
And it was from there is where I started, you know, figuring out like I, at the time I was working part time at like Guitar Center in between gigs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously you come from the guitar world as well. And yeah. So, you know, I was at Guitar Center, I think like 96 to 98, do you, maybe. Do you, you remember know? your Guitar Center number? Mine was uh, mine is 058987. Zero zero seven three one four. Yeah, you're a double O. I'm a fu- yeah, I'm a double O, dude. I'm a OG, man. Dude, double O's for people who are listening right now or watching the show. Um, this double O is they they name the they they number the employees according to when they get hired. So it was lots of zeros and then you won, you know, and stuff. So double O. Uh, what was it? Double O seven. Yeah, zero zero seven three one four or something like that. Or nice, yeah. dude. I think Kevin. You know, you know Kevin Hewitt, Kevin Babies. This guy in uh, San Diego. Uh, he's awesome. He's our GC pro there. I think he's like double oh seven four twenty or some shit. He's got like the best, the best number. It's like fucking James <laughs> Bond weed. James. Yeah, Bond weed. James Bond weed, man. Yeah, that's like the best number. We can't forget that number. But um, yeah, but yeah. So so staying around music uh, is something that that is great and i recommend as well for anybody out there listening if you're on the come up and you're trying to to uh you know make it in music in any kind of music uh, a, a store like guitar center you know i mean i know it's a the big box retail of uh, of music but you know uh guitar center uh and idjnow.com you know uh, the, the they're more east coast uh sam sam, uh, sam ash right those are all great places to work because they do kind of have a mentality that allows you time off for your gigs. Uh, they have, uh, if you give them enough notice. Um, and uh, just working around music every day, even though it's retail, even though people have their own issues and problems and customer complaints, and that's always some bullshit to deal with. But, um, but working around music every day is very fulfilling to me, and that's why I did Guitar Center for a long time. Uh, is because I got to at least be around music in though even though I was off DJing and working on production and trying yep. to do other stuff, but I was around music. So that's why you did it as well. Yeah, yeah. Like um, I did it because obviously I, um, you know, I was getting into music production. I was, you know, starting to put out records, but I didn't like I wasn't super knowledgeable on a lot of the gear and how to properly do things. I knew a lot of stuff, you know, so, you know, part of it was I wanted to work around music every day. You know, I wanted to be around DJ equipment because I love talking about gear. I mean, obviously when you and I have conversations, you know, and just for everybody who, you know, who's watching, like Raj and I have literally been on the road together. Yeah. Like a ton of times uh, <laughs> for both companies that have, you know, and just coincidentally, we're in the same city or the same country. Like we were in Amsterdam together. Like shit was awesome. Yeah. Um, but we get into these long conversations about gear and music because we have such a, a deep passion for it that I could go on and on and on about this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that worked to my benefit. Whereas people saw selling as difficult, to me it was the easiest shit because like I <laughs> get paid to talk about gear, yeah, cool, you know. And people see that, like, people see that passion. And when you have that passion and you're just talking about gear and you're really enthused about about the stuff, they'll buy it. Like it's 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 a no brainer. And so I had like no problem 
uh, you know, selling, you know, gear there. And so consequently, I, in um, my downtime, I learned every piece of gear that was in Guitar Center. Luckily, the store that I was at, which was uh, Guitar Center Brea, and uh, that one serviced a lot of uh, big recording studios in the area. So they actually had one of the rooms that had a lot of the high-end uh, gear in it. So cool. Like Monday, like a lot of the dead times and stuff, I was always in there, you know, playing with the gear, learning it, recording stuff. If I was tracking vocals or whatever, I would go in there and track vocals. I would record stuff. I would have somebody come, you know, like if I was using a vocalist on a track, I'd have them come there. I'd set up like a Neumann U87 microphone or whatever and track it in and I'd do it all there and then take it home to my studio and, and you know, <laughs> and finish out finish out the work, you know. And they were really cool about letting you borrow gear too. So like really great synthesizers that were there that I couldn't afford, you know, at the time. Um, you know, my store manager was really cool because, you know, I sold a lot and anything that I wanted, he's like, Yeah, go for it, you know, and I'd create a loaner ticket, take it home for a couple of days and then I'd bring it back. And then all of the manufacturers that were coming in, I started to know all of them because I wanted to know more about the products and how these were being made and the sounds that were going into this, you know, these products. Hence, this is how this goes into me becoming, you know, sound designer. Um, and so when the guys would come in, I would always be one of the first guys there to want to get trained. Even though other guys didn't want to get trained, I was always there. I wanted to learn. Because I felt like the more that I knew, the more I could sell and the more money I made. You know, at the same time, if I'm a musician and I'm building up my own studio, then I needed to know all of this stuff. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And, and I built up relationships with the reps from all of these companies. And that's how I bought a lot of my studio gear at the time at a super cheap discounted rate, you know, as an accommodation price. And a lot of times I got free gear because I sold so much of it, I fucking would get, you know, what they would call at the time, they would spiff you, you know. And after a while, Guitar Center made it illegal. They didn't want anybody getting spiffed or anything like that. But for a while, like, Korg and all these companies were doing it. Like, if you sold, like, three Tritons, you would get one. I had, like, two Tritons, you know, because I sold so many of those, you know. Like, I had them, and then I would sell them off for cash. Because I didn't need three Tritons, you know? Yeah. But it was a great way to, you know, learn about gear. And it was also a very inexpensive way to, you know, build up your studio as well and learn about it and, and learn from the reps everything that you need to know about this gear. So, yeah, if, if you're definitely a DJ and you're looking at getting into production and you don't want to work, a, you know, a shitty nine to five, you know, like in an office or anything, you know, I'm not saying that Guitar Center is like the best it's you know you it's it has its downsides and, and all the shit that you got to deal with you know with customers and everything else but if you're really passionate you know i would still take guitar center over some boring ass office job that has nothing to do with music you know even if it was paying me more i still wouldn't do it mm -hmm. yeah so, and that's but that's just me you know yeah so a little tidbit of wisdom out there for anybody that's listening uh or watching that uh, is thinking about uh, ditching their boring nine to five, at least uh, for something else, until you know, until something else comes through that that, that you're more fulfilled with, you know. Um, so when you started to get these, uh, you know, the gear, and you paired up your retail job with learning and meeting people that taught that teach you these skills, you know, then you become uh, the the producer. So wait, so so the touring aspect of your DJ career came 
off of just the strength of you DJing, DJing, not even producing? Yeah, just pretty much. Well, it was it was a combination of both. Um, it was the DJing um, because I was playing a lot of big like underground events, and obviously those flyers and everything would I don't know how, but they would get out of state. Um, and so, based on the popularity of uh, some of the big events and nightclubs that I started playing in LA, um, then I started getting booked out of state. Uh, for places like Vegas and uh, like Phoenix, Arizona, um, Salt Lake City, Utah. That was weird. But, yeah, I would get booked there a lot. Um, and then like going to New York and, you know, all these different places. And then as I started producing records, then that catapulted my booking status up even more. Yeah. Because now you have vinyl that is that's out in all these record shops everywhere and so now people may have heard already you know of my name but now they see records you know and okay so now this guy is a dj he's a producer so now again you're more of a viable option you know you're more of a commodity now to have you know at a at a nightclub in phoenix arizona where you know they only have locals there but they're bringing in a couple of guys from la and it's a big ass night you know yeah um and so that's how kind of that all started um, and I was doing that for several years and I was still working guitar center and everything. So it was hard, man. Like, you know, they were really accommodating with my schedule and what I needed to do. Um, but yeah, it got really difficult and, um, you know, everything just works out in, you know, this, these mysterious ways sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, the, the guys from Roland used to come in all the time and they would they had a team actually they'd come in a van and and i thought it was the coolest thing ever like i'd see all these dudes roll in and it was like probably like seven of them you know six or seven of them and they'd all come in and they all went to different departments you know because you had the guitar specialist you had the drum guys and they would just roll in there with their shirts and everything and basically put together all the demos make sure all the gear was working factory reset all the keyboards whatever and then they would do the trainings and so i got along with all of the guys from roland really really well and the main rep uh this guy brian hooper at the time um i would always sit down and train with him all the time like his entire time he was there i had him showing me everything and so they would look at the numbers and they would always see that i was selling a lot of roland stuff because i knew everything about it you know so you know fast forward a little bit i ended up uh leaving guitar center i went to work at qsc for maybe about a year um and after i left qsc uh the the rep at roland had gotten word that i was available and they just so happened to be looking for a groove product specialist and that was at the time when they had like the MC-303, the MC-307 groove boxes, the MC-505. And so I got the call and I went and I auditioned uh, for Roland. I bas they basically sent me like two pieces of gear. And um, I had to learn this gear within like a couple of days. And then I had to go back to their main office and do a presentation, you know, to like the president and a couple of other dudes. And... I walked in there and there's the president of Roland on like, fuck me, dude. Like, <laughs> shit. Like, you know, you want to talk about like super nerve wracking, you know, but fuck it. Like, I was just like, I'm just going to do it. Like, this is how I do this. And I was just having fun with it. And 
And at the end of it all, they were looking, they're like, okay. And the main president, who's like this, the guy from actually handled Boss, you know, all the guitar stuff, he's like, all right. You need to learn a little bit more about the Roland speak, but, uh, yeah. And then I got hired from there. Um, and so I was with Roland for about 10 years. Wow. And, uh, and when I first got hired as the, uh, groove product specialist, you know, I was the, I was putting out, um, I got hired and then I was debuting the Roland D2, which was a, ugly ass orange like groove box it was super funky weird um and then after that i did that and i did a couple other products then i guess i had earned my stripes so finally when the mc909 was in development um i guess somebody heard me working on some music you know at my desk because we all had like little mini studios at the office there and we'd always be bumping shit and uh so they came over and i guess some of the japanese engineers were there and uh Basically, they asked if, if I'd be interested in um, creating some patterns for a new product, you know, that they were uh, coming out with. And uh, it was going to be a new groove box, and they needed some, like, R&B and hip-hop kind of stuff done for it. And, and I was like, yeah. I'd, I mean, in my head, I'm like, fuck, yeah, dude. Like, that was, like, my dream thing, like, to one day have my sounds in one of those <coughs> machines, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I did it, and they loved it. So I then was asked if I wanted to be the main presenter to debut this product at the Winter Nam show. And so I did, and um, and that's how I got my face out there for the first big time as a kind of like a product specialist, uh, you know, kind of presented to the world, you know, for this MC909. It was a big global launch, and um, I was the main guy, like, presenting and showing this, and I had to show how to – use it with video because it could link to Roland's V-Link and control video and do effects and all this other stuff. And um, at the end of all that, it just, again, propelled me up another notch into the world of sound design. And that's how I began, um, you know, creating sounds and stuff for a lot of the Roland products, um, you know, stuff like the Phantom, uh, the Phantom X, the Phantom G, the MC-808, uh, the SP-404, SP-404SX, uh, the MV8000, MV8800. I mean, all of these like machines that I did a lot of sound work for and was on the road, like, you know, presenting and training people on all these products. That's uh, awesome. You know, for a good, yeah, for a good decade, you know, that's what I did. And that's kind of just what led me into the world of sound design. And next thing I know, um, you know, I'm working at Beatport and doing sound design for all these great companies like Native Instruments and Arturia and you know, and then I got into the sample world with, you know, doing all the sounds and stuff for Sounds to Sample, which was owned by Beatport and, you know, ended up at Splice. And then now here I am at ADSR and been here for like three years now. So that's awesome. Well, you've had a hell of a uh, journey uh, and a hell of a career <laughs> yeah. so far. So what's next for you? What are you most looking forward to in 2019? Uh, more workshops with you and the guys from BPM, man. So hey. you get some some cool stuff popping, man. But uh, you know, it's 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 a lot of things are are shifting again. Um, you know, the the music world as we know it is is uh is changing and it's extremely diverse. I'm loving the fact that there's a much uh stronger female presence now. You know, in the music production world as well as in the DJ world, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Um, 
And so, you know, for 2019, I'm just looking to push the boundaries a bit more uh, with our sounds content, um, you know, establishing some much uh, bigger relationships. We already got some really great partnerships. You know, obviously, we we do a lot of really great things with you guys. Um, we've got some really great things that we are doing with the guys from Ableton, uh, with, with Akai. I just did one of their big videos for the uh, 2.3 MPCX uh, update, which just came out a couple weeks ago. So, um, I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm extremely grateful for where I'm at, you know, in my career. And um, obviously, you know, I think you and I are, are cut from the same cloth in, in the sense that we're always – moving forward and we're always networking and we're always trying to like do something really cool yeah. not because looking at the the monetization that can be you know developed from that but just establishing these really cool partnerships and doing something really great and being able to like help other musicians out and watch them succeed you know through the use of our products or our services or through our company and that's like really like the ultimate uh, you know, goal and satisfaction that I get from all of it, and I just want to keep doing that, man, and and really pushing the boundaries with sounds and coming up with new concepts and and really just pushing forward, you know, education as a whole and how we're doing things on ADSR and really helping people to, you know, get to that next plateau of you know going from this point here and let's get you up to this point up here. So awesome, yeah. Well, I love it. So it sounds like just full speed ahead. And continuing, you know, the what brought us to the dance. So I agree with you. It's a uh, time to just add another multiplier on uh, on the process. You know, I think uh, we've both been doing some really cool, interesting things over the last couple of years, and uh, I, I'm having fun doing it, man. So that's that's what it's about is uh, yeah. is loving what you do. You never work a day in your life, right? No, not really. It's it's it gets for us not frustrating but some days it's like ah damn man like you and I were talking about this when we were in Amsterdam like yeah. we we never get a day off it's literally yeah. six to seven days you know like my only day is maybe part of you know maybe Saturday and then that's it and then my emails start going off because most of the guys that I manage are like you know in Europe and somewhere else so mm -hmm. you know it's already on Sunday it's already Monday for them mm -hmm. so you know we're literally you know around the clock always available when we have to be but you know it's a small price to pay for doing what we love because I would still rather be doing this than anything else um, mm -hmm. you know I could be in business law if I wanted to like I went to school for all that and I could be making you know tons and tons of money if I wanted to but that I have no passion for that right like, I would I would literally kill myself because I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So I would rather just do this and be happy. And I always tell people that like you really need to do what makes you really really happy if you want to have a nice long life. Like if you're just going to go after and do a job because it pays really well but you fucking hate it, well guess what? Your your, your fucking lifespan is probably going to be a lot shorter and you know, you're probably going to end up fucking divorced and alcoholic or some shit like it just doesn't lead anywhere like everybody that i know that went into some other field because they had to and they hate the job they make really good money but they're not really happy you know yeah and, and it's like that's the sad thing man it's like they're not really happy you can have all this money but you're not happy you know so it's like i'd rather just be happy man doing what i love and even if i'm making fucking minimum wage you know yeah it's like i'd rather just be doing what i love so if i wasn't doing music whatever then fuck it i'll just go 
work at Starbucks and make coffee because I actually like making coffee. Like it calms <laughs> me down. Yeah. It's weird, but it, it calms me down. Like making coffee and, and doing that kind of stuff, like I like doing that. It's creative, like doing stuff like that. So I'd rather do that than go work for some law, I don't firm. Know, law firm or some shit like that. Like I just could I just see uh Tony B just joined. So what's up, Tony? I see you in the chat there, man. For those of you who don't know, man, Tony B, legendary, legendary DJ uh, producer. Welcome, Tony. Uh, from Los Angeles. Yeah, man. Uh, one of the originators with uh, Richard on the Power Tool show. Wow. Uh, in, in LA. He was one, he, he's the original co host. Um, and uh, Tony B has a very, very long, long history uh, in radio, DJing, and in LA and stuff. So, and, and the guy is just. Super, 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 super humble, man. Like one of the nicest, funniest fucking guys you'll ever meet, man. But I uh, wow. love the guy to death, so I just saw that he joined and everything. I don't know if he's still in the chat room, but Tony, if you're there, man, what's up, brother? Yeah, Tony, thanks, man. I, uh, maybe we'll have him on the show uh, with us both or something like that here soon. But uh, I'm going yeah. to thank you for coming uh, on to the Roger Rabbit show today. Uh, this podcast, or well, this will be a podcast to consume as far as audio goes. Again, we go live, so if you're listening to this, make sure you follow the page, Raji Rabbit, so that that way um, you can get notified when we go live and be a part of it. Like so many great people today chatting in on the chat box, we really appreciate that. And how can they get a hold of you uh, on social media and where uh, can they find out about uh, ADSR? Um, so ADSR, uh, if that is at adsrsounds.com. Uh, and you go there, you can get access to all of the sample library we have there. We sell plugins as well, so we distribute a lot of plugins. And right there is where you can also uh, get your subscription to our courses. We literally have like over 900 hours of uh, educational material, and it's from everything from most of the major DWs. So if you want to learn about Ableton Live, uh, Logic Pro 10, we just added, I believe, FL Studio 20. If I'm not mistaken, um, and then of course we have uh, full-on courses for if you want to learn everything about Serum, Massive, Solenth, all of those things, even hardware stuff. It's all there. You can learn stuff about sound design if you're into Foley recording and you want to get into film scoring. We have courses on that stuff as well, and then of course just regular music production and not just about learning about the DAW itself, but if you want to learn about specific genres of music and how to get that sound that that producer does we have a lot of that content there and it's all in chapters so you have the option to simply follow along or if you want to download it uh, you can pause it come back to it and that's the great thing about it is that it's all cohesive and it's in one place you're not having to search for all these different videos by multiple people trying to explain the same thing on youtube or something so um, that's for adsr uh michael trance right here on facebook it's uh dj michael trance you can find it there Instagram, same thing, DJ Michael Trance. I'm on there as well. I don't use any of the other platforms, man, like Snapchat and all that crap. Like, I have it. I just don't use it, man. I, I can't be on, like, four or five different so the Mike, like, social the, So the yeah. Michael Trance on Tinder and Bumble is not this Michael Trance. Everybody <laughs> watch me. That's so. not me. <laughs> all right. Well, That's thank- not me. That's Raj. <laughs> oh, hey, hey. So... <laughs> Thank you for your time today, Michael. I appreciate it, man. It's been fun. I'll have you back on and we'll talk even more because me and you, we get together. We can really, there's so much we can talk about every time. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, man. Thanks. Definitely appreciate it. Appreciate the time, man. Uh, anytime you let me know, we'll do it again. Hell yeah, brother. Take care. All right. See ya.